Welcome back, everyone. This is The Change Log, and I'm your host, Adam Stachowiak. This is episode 164, and on today's show, we're joined by Jack Lucek. Jack is back talking about Semantic UI again. We had him back on episode 106 almost a year and a half ago, and that was before Semantic UI was at 1.0. So that's pre 1.0. Well, now Semantic UI is at 2.0, so a lot of new changes, a lot of new additions, and we dive deep into a lot of the details about Semantic UI, but we also talked quite a bit with Jack about why and how, because Jack is doing Semantic UI full time. It's crazy. Gotta listen to this show. We have three awesome sponsors, CodeShip, CodeSchool, and HipChat. Our first sponsor is CodeShip, a hosted continuous delivery service focusing on speed, security, and customizability. You can set up continuous integration in your app today in a matter of seconds and automatically deploy your code when your tests have passed. CodeShip supports your GitHub and Bitbucket projects, and you can get started today with CodeShip's free plan. Should you decide to go with a premium plan, you can save 20% off any plan you choose for three months by using our special code. That code is the changelog podcast. Again, the changelog podcast, save 20% off any plan you choose for three months Head to codeship.com slash changelaw to get started. And now on to the show. All right, we're back. We got a uh, returning guest, Jack Lukic, the maker of Semantic UI. Back in episode 106, it was it was not me and Jared, right, Jared? You're, that's a bummer, right? It was me and Andrew. <laughs> it's a good show. I listened to it uh, today. It was an excellent show. But uh, yes, bummer that I wasn't on there. Yeah, but uh, say la vida, Andrew. We miss you, buddy, but that was a good show as well. 106, that was October 5th, 2013. Almost a year and a half ago, just give or take a few days or something like that, seconds or whatever. But uh, Jack, you're back. Um, That was when you were here at 106. That was pre-1.0, and you've gone through 1.0. You got in touch with us on our ping repo on GitHub. Um, we didn't end up syncing up and now you're at 2.0. So, I mean, we missed 1.0 and now we're at 2.0, uh, semantic UI. Welcome back to the show. Thanks. It's uh, great to be here. Talk to you guys. And just to summarize a bit from the last show, Jared, feel free to step in and help me as well. But Jack, you're a language guy, right? You began more in the languages and that's why you're really into the semantics of the web. And that's how you got into what you're doing with semantic UI. Am I right? Yep. Um, so I studied cognitive science uh, for my undergrad. Um, I've always been sort of interested in the way that computer languages have been different than um, natural languages and trying to sort of understand um, you know, what a program language would look like in the year 2100 or what, what program languages are sort of what, what directions are they moving? Um, so that's that's obviously a very large, broad question. Um, so I've tried to sort of scope it in the, you know, the context of what we can do today to sort of you know, uh, change programming languages to sort of, you know, look at these these features of, of, of future programming. Very cool. And we've, uh, Jerry, we've been, we lived through it, right? We talked about Zeldman at least once or twice on the show before, right? So mm-hmm. uh, web standards, that was a, a big deal. Uh, and obviously semantics matter. Um, but as we start getting to, into the days today when people are sort of targeting the DOM and it's a little less concern, not complete, no concern, but a little less concerned about semantics. I'm wondering uh, if we can bring that up at some point during the show, but maybe some more interesting things might be, Jack, what your situation is making this project. 
Sure. Um, so I think when you talked to me last, I've tried to you know replay in my head what I was doing in 2013. Um, I was working at a startup previously called Quirky. Um, if you don't know about Quirky, Quirky is a social invention company. Um, people submit ideas for consumer products on their website, and then they convert them into real products and then share the proceeds with the inventor. Um, so I left there a couple years ago. Um, Semantic at the time was actually the code name of an internal redesign at Quirky, um, which sort of involved, uh, like we're, we're scaling the team from, you know, well, the company was 50 people at the time, and by the end of the year, it was 150 people. So it was like, it was becoming a very different company overnight. Um, and so for me, you know, I was the lead front-end developer at the time. Uh, I was trying to sort of work out the idea of um, how you get a bunch of developers to code on a platform together without having to deal with, you know, the idiosyncrasies of individual developer preference, um, naming conventions, um, and that kind of stuff. Um, and so for me, what was really exciting was, you know, going back to all this source material, which fascinated me when I was younger, um, about just sort of how people construct meaning. Um, and so uh, Semantic UI is, is sort of a byproduct of that. It's a, a kind of a new understanding, not that new, I guess, but it's a unique understanding of, of, of how people should construct meaning through programming languages. Um, and so it's a UI framework, you know, the nuts and bolts is a bunch of things you can plug in, into your website that has drop downs and modals and all that kind of stuff. Um, but the, uh, the language behind it is based off of natural language. It uses, uh, relationships like plurality, noun modifier relationships, uh, tense, things that are sort of constructs from natural languages, um, uh, which sort of help people write, um, non-prescriptive uh, front-end code. So, you know, everyone has their own way of, of calling something something. Um, and working with Semantic UI sort of gives you a single language, which um, is maybe not objective, but more objective than, you know, deciding at the spur of the moment what you want to call something. Um, so, yeah, so I, I was working at Quirky uh, when I left. Um, ben, the CEO there, was really wonderful. Um, also, Nathan Smith, the, um, the head uh, 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 CTO there, um, both you know, were great, and they, they let me open source the project. Um, I continued to work on it afterwards. Um, and you know, it, was, it was kind of one of those things where you know, if you just finished a very grueling startup, and uh, I, I kind of, you know, I took it easy. I, I traveled for a while. I, I went through Southeast Asia and all that, you know, that kind of stuff, nice. and I came out of it. Um, and I was just sort of like, I still want to work on this. Like this thing is still really important to me. Um, and so I sort of went from there. Um, yeah. So it sounds like this is a solo project. You may have some contributors, which I haven't even gone to the tab on GitHub yet, but I'm going to do that here right now. So I don't put my foot in my mouth, but it sounds a bit like, like it's basically a solo project with 106 other people. I just looked at the contributors tab. Yeah. <laughs> well, two of those guys used, so it's technically 104. Right? <laughs> so yeah, we we have 800 translators. Um, we have 100 contributors. Um, lots of issues open every day. It's great. It's one of those things where I realized the more you make something accessible, the broader a scope of people that will be helping you out. So like every time that like it becomes less like a programming language and more like something that people can understand, then like you get these like first time GitHub contributors with like 
you know, no avatar, just like leaving their first issue, which is actually like literally my favorite thing is because all the first time contributors are like probably the best. Like they have the most insight. They're like, they come from a perspective where they're from, you know, some other industry, they're from finance or they're from something else and they, you know, they want to make a website. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's, it's been really great. Um, I think um, for, for me, at least the way I think about the project, it's, I'm afraid of, what it means to have too many cooks in the kitchen in terms of like naming and, and language and conventions. Um, so obviously, you know, lot, uh, hundreds of pull requests, you know, lots of contributors, but generally I'm sure everyone has their own take on uh, open source, but generally for me, I feel like the people who contribute are solving very particular issues. Yeah. Um, whereas yeah. like road mapping and like planning the scope of a project, it's very much like uh, the work of a few individuals. Um, and so, so yeah, it's, it's been great too with integrations, like the, the whole ecosystem has changed since we last talked, it's like Meteor, React, all these new, you know, technologies. Yeah. Um, and, and people who know the, those things back, you know, of very well and, and sort of, you know, like having Angular integrations and having Meteor packages, it's, it's been wonderful having the community help with that. So we'll, we'll definitely dive a bit deeper into those two nuances there that, uh, that you brought up, but for those who haven't listened to episode 106, which is at changelaw.com slash 106, for those who haven't listened to that, can you give the one-liner about what semantic UI is before we kind of dive deep into the what's, the why's, and the how's? Yeah, sure. Um, so uh, naming is arbitrary. Um, semantic UI tries to give uh, conventions based around natural language for um, parts of the website. Um, so these aren't things that are part of the W3 spec. These are things that are part of sort of what the user community has, you know, began to call things. So the idea of a sidebar, um, which is like a, you know, an off-canvas navigation that appears, um, that that concept didn't exist 10 years ago. Um, the W3C can't really adapt to create a standard around that. Um, and so my goal is to sort of create... Um, working standards for you know people who want to use these kind of components but um don't really want to you know create their own you know from, from scratch yeah so this is a lot and maybe we'll get more into the details here as we go on but i'm kind of going back jared you said you went back and listened to 106 and i kind of purposefully didn't either that or i'm lazy <laughs> one of the two uh to go back and listen to it because i was there i you know and you weren't so you know there you go but <laughs> nonetheless um it seemed to me like semantic UI was a bit more focused on uh, being a an implemented standard versus a framework itself. Is that easy? Is that somewhat uh, the idea? So just I'll go back into the, the linguistic roots of it here. Is this is what's personally interesting to me, and sort of why you know why I'm I'm obsessed with this idea is I th I think there's a fundamental difference between programming languages and natural languages. And I've been trying to sort of figure out um, in what aspects are programming languages better at constructing meanings and what aspects are they worse at constructing meaning than, than natural languages. Um, and so I think there's, there's sort of a schism between um, meaning as constructed for computers, which um, involves databases, um, you know, memory, uh, different uh, uh, constructs for computers, and then there's meaning for, for people. Um, and so... Uh, the way I see it currently is that uh, things that have to do with presentation, uh, markup languages, 
are in a very unique uh, position because they they benefit most from uh, these uh, features of natural language. So humans are cognitive misers. You know, we've spent uh, between 50 and 100,000 years evolving language to um, use the least amount of sounds, you know, to, to construct the most meaning. Um, and so I'm fascinated by that. Like, you imagine if we had 100,000 years of com computer science history, what that would mean. Um, and so uh, for me, it's, it's trying to sort of work through um, what those features of natural language are that are useful and how they apply to programming languages. So uh, in terms of presentation, websites are kind of like virtual scenes. They're things on a page. Um, they're, uh, HTML is unique in the sense that it, it fits very well into this natural language system uh, for describing things. It's like um, you might have three buttons on a page. There might be three large buttons. You have this concept of uh, noun modifier relationship. The largeness is shared between three buttons. Um, plurality, like you, you don't need to say there's a button and a large button and a large button. You understand um, uh, very clearly. Um, and in, in programming, we have this idea of classical inheritance, classes of things, but we don't necessarily break it down into the same nuance that natural language does, where um, words are classes of things. Like to me, the idea of a word and a class is the same thing. Um, but in, in English and in, in basically every natural language, there's an idea of a significant word order. So for instance, like if I say uh, three large men versus, um, you know, <laughs> Uh, sorry, excuse me, this is a bad example. If I say, um, in terms of a website, um, a right-aligned, left-floated column, you understand that right refers to the alignment and left refers to where the column sits on the page. Um, whereas when we look at classes in HTML, um, everyone's used to just saying, well, left means this and right means this. Well, well in, in English, it doesn't actually have a meaning. It only has meaning in context of... of uh, other classes. Um, and so this is what I'm really fascinated with is sort of trying to reverse engineer this amazing system for constructing meaning, which we have in natural language. Um, so things that are interesting in the library, it's like that, that exact example actually plays out um, where uh, certain class names have meaning only in relation to its position in, uh, in terms of word order. So for instance, you could have in the grid system, um, a right aligned left floated column and it understands because you put right before the word aligned you didn't mean right floated or you didn't mean you know write something else um you meant you know this particular concept um so so yes it's it's kind of obviously this is a very nascent field like this is something that people will be expanding on for you know decades to come um but i'm i'm really excited to sort of ex explore it more and, and try to really um, you know, reverse engineer um, mm -hmm. language. So you've had um, roughly a year and a half since the previous show, I think you're at like 0 0.3 at the time, to yeah. watch it evolve a little bit. And so could you take us uh, from then to now, the evolution of Semantic UI, and then kind of prognosticate a bit, where do you see an end goal or a future end of the road looks like uh, for a project like this? Sure. Um, so yeah, so when we talked last, um, the project was a pure CSS library. Um, there was no preprocessing. Um, when I launched 1.0, one of the things I realized is that all these concepts, you know, largeness, redness, um, are uh, represented by uh, 
variables. There's things that you know a user wants to define what largeness means to me or what redness means to me in the context of you know certain elements. And so I built this library out, and you know internally it ended up being three thousand plus uh, CSS variables. So very very large amount of of things are um, uh, arbitrary in in sort of definitions. Um, right, so right. so I sort of worked back from that. Um, I created an, an inheritance system where I was really fascinated with Sublime Text at the time. And it was, it was one of those things that sort of came out of the ether. Like, I don't know if you remember when Sublime Text was coming out, but it was like, what the F is this? Like, this is insane. Who is this genius? And why is, does he have no Twitter followers? And I was, like, I was fascinated by this concept. And he still does it. He just exists as this, like, mad genius that, like, doesn't want to be in the limelight. And I was, and it's obviously the best thing for, um, you know, text. I mean, there's other choices, Adam and so on, but it was so, so good that it was, it was insane at the time. Um, and for me, like, I'm, in, in terms of all types of, of, of uh, art and literature, I'm into these people who sort of create without a, son- a concept of ego. They just do it because they have some idea. And he was like, he was one of my idols. Um, and so I was looking at Sublime Text, and they have a very, you know, simple package system that just perfectly makes sense. It's, you know, there's three levels of, of inheritance. There's, you know, a user settings file. There's the package defaults. And then there's just the, the defaults for Sublime Text. Mm-hmm. And it, it seems ridiculous, but I was just like, this is so easy. Like, why doesn't everything work off of this? Um, and so I've, I've looked at lots of different inheritance models for CSS, and, you know, SAS and, and less everything is just like floating in this global namespace where it's like you, if you define red later in the file it actually like changes the you know the red variable uh, you know uh, uh, anywhere else in in that compilation so it's it was a very um, basic sense of inheritance and so I tried to sort of reverse engineer this sublime text inheritance model um, and I came up with this system that works off of um, a default theme a package theme and then a site theme. Um, and so, you know, you have browser default or sorry, library defaults, which are very neutral, just sort of how the the, um, the UI components look. Um, then you have this concept of a package theme, which is like uh, the hypothetical, as you're saying, you know, the future of the library. Um, if, if there's a package uh, manager, then you can download, you know, the GitHub button, let's say it looks like a GitHub button. Um, but then you have this third level, which is like, well, great, I downloaded that package, but I still have some things I want to customize. Um, and so there's a third level, which is like a site theme. So it's basically like a user override. You know, I've downloaded this theme, I've overridden the default theme, but I also want to add my own, you know, um, my own colors or, you know, other, other variables. Um, so yeah, so I, I, I've launched 1.0, it was built off of these, you know, massive amount of, 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 of theming variables um, and this three level inheritance system. Um, and it was, I was happy with it, but it was also one of those things that feels like that pyrrhic victory where you like, you finish it and then you're like, ah, I did it. And you like, you do like your little dance in your room. um, And then you launch it out in the world and you just wait, (laughs) you know, and it's, it's hard because like, you know, these open source is one of those things where I feel like people don't discover it until they have a new project. They have like, you know, they lift their heads up there. They have the thing they're used to. And then you have to convince them of something they've never heard of. And it's like, it's a difficult proposition. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, so 1.0 was, I was really happy with. Um, around that time, 
um, I actually went back to um, working on Semantic UI full time. Um, so previous to that, um, I had a, and this is going back into the personal life, but um, but I was I was working uh, as a uh, consultant for uh, this magazine, The New Republic. Um, so it was uh, it was a great place to test out the ideas of what a framework would look like this would look like, um, and sort of you know helped evolve the standard for 1.0. Um, but then sort of when 1.0 launched, I kind of went full tilt into the um, doing it for doing it <laughs> aspect. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I sort of gave up the day job. And um, I've, since then, I've sort of been working on it um, full time, um, you know, without pay um, and just sort of enjoying it for, you know, the ideas. Um, and, and so, yeah, that's kind of leads me where I am now. In our pre-call, when Jared and I sort of prepare ourselves for the guests, uh, he was telling me he went back and listened to that episode. And one thing that you did say was that you started working on it full time in that episode. And that Andrew and I just sort of like just glazed over the idea that you just said that you were working on this open source project full time. And we just didn't dig in. So let's let's dig into that. So you've I mean, it, it astounds me. Let's preface this section, I guess, a bit with the fact that there's so much open source out there that you don't often understand as a user or someone who's just sort of determining what's out to f at their fingertips available to use, what kind of sacrifice goes into making something happen or the passion, like you've talked about, Jack, that you've got for language and simplicity and all these different things and how it's played into making semantic UI what it is. And I feel like, you know, there's a part of this show that can help uh, foster and, and help explain some of the, the behind the scenes there on the motivations from you the way that you've done it in the, in the past year and a half. And it's at your leisure to share whatever personal details you want. But I think uh, it's an interesting topic to figure out why you're doing it and how you're doing it without, you know, a job. Yeah, no. Yeah. It's just, this is something for me. It's, it's very uh, philosophical. Um, I mean, we live in a Western country. We have a very unique concept of what, you know, being, uh, subsisting is. Um, and for me, you know, I'm a programmer. Um, I've been doing this, you know, since college. Um, and I just realized, you know, what I actually need is much less than what I think I need. And the thing that really matters to me is ideas. Um, and so I've sort of given up on the idea of, of, of pursuing the most profitable, you know, direction. And I've gone just towards trying to uh, cultivate the ideas that mean, mean most to me. And I know that sounds like I really hate even saying that out loud because it sounds terrible. But for me, it's just, you know, I've, I've my last paycheck was last July. So I'm going on about a year now. Um, it's one of those things where I like. I, I just imagine myself, you know, later in life and thinking there was this period of my life where um, I had the most potential to do something. And and the idea of using that potential to, you know, I, Starts are, are wonderful and you know they add much value to the world. But for me to use that potential to you know help uh, optimize the profit margins of a startup is not necessarily um, the the best way to use your best years. And I mean this is obviously a very personal decision, but for me I was just really excited about um, going down that rabbit hole. And I think a lot of people this is this is actually for me really interesting. My my girlfriend's a librarian, and I see there's a whole other type of 
world where people just make decisions all the time, not based on money. They just make decisions based on um, uh, morals or, or values or other things. And I think programmers, they're like they, they're so good at what they do that they're able actually to, to cover this up really well. But I think that they're generally programmers are making decisions based on on optimizing uh, utility and optimizing for value. And I'm, you know, I've tried not to do that. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's brought me in this sort of, you know, weird place where it's a year down the road and I'm like, you know, I had whatever savings there is and it's, it's been eaten through. Um, but I, I could not imagine wanting to do it any other way. You know, it's the, I think also it's when you think about how many open source projects there are in the world and, you know, people approaching it from, from different directions, it's the thing that I'm really wary of is, I mean, there, there are startups that use open source as part of a, a, a marketing campaign and sort of part of hiring developers or like evangelizing a platform. And I, I think it has, it has value when the ideas are so good that they can't be disputed, like React. Everyone's like, this is too damn good. Like this could have come from like any company and we would still be using this. But um, but it's, I, I, I find it kind of disparaging when open source is not necessarily used to, you know, promote uh, independent ideas, but more to, you know, pr promote uh, agendas of, of, uh, of startups or software companies. Um, and I, I, obviously, I mean, this is a very polemic issue. I mean, I have, I have lots of opinions here, but I'm sure there's, there's lots of different opinions here. But for me, it's I, I really enjoy like I, I have all different maintainers that I'm like. I, I really like who I know have a certain following or, you know, but they just do it um, in perpetuity without like any sort of like pat on the back. Um, and I've like, I've always been fascinated by that. And, and also like looking back at literature and, and looking back at the things that really, you know, I enjoyed in my life uh, in terms of other people's creations. I think it's those people who get to, to uh, who create without like uh, expectation that they will immediately be understood. Um, and I don't necessarily think that obviously all these things are very loaded terms because, you know, we're, I'm talking in the context of, of being interviewed on a program, but like just in terms of inspiration, like just talking about other people, that those are the people who have most inspired me. Um, and so I've, I've been trying to sort of pursue that, that idea of, of programming and, you know, whether I succeed or fail is, is kind of, you know, arc to the code, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I see, I, I definitely see some of your points. I think that, you know, innovation can come from many different areas and uh, it's a spectrum and people do open source for different reasons, um, some purer than others. And yet at the end of the day, I think what we like about software, especially open source software that we can all see and inspect and use and, and contribute to is that and maybe this is a romantic thought, but at the end of the day, it does, it does speak for itself. Like the, the, the product, right. Regardless of you, if you're a, a Facebook, you know, and you're yeah. with react or you're, you know, Jack Lukic, who's, who's working on semantic for free, you know, without any income at all, like your project is going to uh, succeed or fail to a large extent on, you know, its value proposition. And so there's this great leveling uh, that happens. That being said, as uh, DHH <laughs> said quite often in his, our show with him, that you know marketing has a big aspect of it, and there's, there's yeah. plenty of other factors. Yeah. But yeah. there is kind of that romantic utilitarian, you know, meritocracy aspect of 
open source. And um, you're taking definitely a, a different angle than many people take at it. Um, so just to borrow a startup term, what's what's your runway look like? <laughs> uh, uh, <yeah. laughs> you got a chuckling, Jared. <laughs> no, no, he wasn't expecting that one. <laughs> I actually was not expecting that one. Uh, the, the runway is, you know, there. there's when a, a startup would fold, and then there's, you know, when a person would fold. And for yeah. me, it's... You know, I don't, I don't know if there is a runway. It's, uh, the, I'll, I'll be doing this for the rest of my life because the idea is important to me. Whether or not it succeeds as a project will probably be decided soon. Yeah. Um, but, but you know, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's about ideas and like, for even like uh, the ideas that are kind of like unpolished and unrefined will eventually come around in terms of. Like new projects and, and, mm-hmm. and sort of different endeavors. And that's how I see semantic UIs. And I mean, I know I'm saying this at the same time, I'm like top 20 JavaScript project, top 35 overall of any language in GitHub. It's, 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 it's succeeding. All right. And I'm, I'm very happy with the community and the community is amazing. Um, but other than that, um, you know, it's, yeah. if, if for some reason it, it needs to, you know, be evolved in, in a new way, then it, it'll evolve. Like it's, for me, the, the the thing that's important though is just you know the underlying ideas um, and just sort of, sort of new way of thinking about programming and kind of relating programming back to natural language. And I think also it's it's hard too because like once you have a name to something and you like call it like this set of ideas that I've been talking about in the program is now called semantic UI. Like it'd be much easier for me to talk about it if it was just a set of ideas. But as soon as it's like this is now a project that people can choose to like or not like, star or not star, follow or not follow. It like adds this whole sense of like uh, attachment, and uh, you know, it puts you in the realm of uh, of all these things which are, are harder to deal with. This, which is like you know, self concept and and you know, fitting into a marketplace. And well, since and you mentioned the the stars and stuff, could can we mention the stars that you got there? You got. 18,473 as of right now at least 18,473 stars and 2013 forks and 967 people watching this thing so it's like you said it's in the top 25 I, I didn't go and look at the indexes but it sounded like CSS and JavaScript in the top 25 on GitHub for those so it's it's fairly popular yeah it's, I mean it's nice to see like uh, I, I don't remember the exact rankings, but I remember there's like there's some libraries that I really respected when I was getting in the range of, you know. And also, it's it's interesting to think about there's there's lots of funded open source libraries now. Like you look at Meteor's last round, they raised from injuries of Horowitz, um, or you look at you know Ionic or other frameworks, which are wonderful projects, which I love. Um, but the caveat being that they have a bankroll now and they can make decisions, yeah. understanding they can you know bankroll developers. Um, and those people, like, that's almost what it takes to get into that ballpark. Like, once you get into the top 20s, it's like, you look around, it's people who are bankrolled at Facebook, people who are bankrupt, uh, bankrolled at, at Google, um, and vested startups. Um, and so, as, a, as you know, doing the old source, mo- uh, the old model of, like, just doing open source development and GitHub issues and this kind of stuff, it's really hard to make traction once you get to that point without, like, having, you know, some sort of... Um, Juice... So to yeah, speak. She, she said to speak. Exactly. Let's, let's talk about that for a second because something that stood out to me that you just said was you said the fate of this project will be determined soon. When Jared asked you about runway, you sort of chuckled about your own personal runway and it was mixed. It was like there was a little bit of your own personal runway and, and that was indefinite because you said that this is really passionate to you and, and you're going to keep yeah. doing it. 
but then there was another side of it that you said the fate of this project will be determined soon. Can you yeah. talk a little bit about like what that what you meant by that? Was there was there some background meaning behind that? Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, it's it's two point You know, I I was really excited about one It was one of those things where I launched into the world and you know had no concept of, of, of money at the time. I was just sort of, you know, eating through savings and being okay with it. Um, and yeah, 2.0 is out and it's six months of work. I mean, I know it's really hard to like ex- explain what that means, but like literally just me going to an office for six months and working um, full time. Um, and it's getting to a point where, um, you know, just to have the, the, pro- the project uh, continue on, there needs to be some sort of uh, uh, w- way to make it sustainable. Um, and, you know, I, I tossed around the idea of a Kickstarter and I just sort of felt really awkward about that concept of like, because we already have a product. It's not like I'd have to, you know, get people to bankroll a future product. Um, and so, yeah, I'm just I'm trying to figure out a more sustainable way to do it. I've asked people for donations in the past. And by the way, I want to call out how amazing the community is. Like I've at launch, I had like a $250 donation. Like last few months, I've had, you know, between 500 and 750 bucks in donations per month. Um, people have been really amazing about that. Um, and I think also that's part of like when people understand, when you have a community that understands kind of what you're doing, like um, in terms of, you know, not having any money coming in and, and, and working on a project like this, they're really eager to help. And I, th- I think that's the part that's like been really sobering about all this is that like, even if, even if you don't charge for anything, like people understand that there's some sort of social responsibility to open source, like that, Things don't just exist in ether, um, and I think when we talked last time, like Git Tip was just coming out, um, and I think yeah, it's 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 been really nice to see that. Um, but yeah, I guess it, in terms of what you specifically asked, um, I think I'm gonna have to find some so a new financial model for the project if it's going to uh, you know continue with the development that it ha- has had previously, because um, you you can't just not work for multiple years. Um, living in a city like New York. No, no, absolutely it's not. Impossible. I mean, and I kind of, I kind of wish we got a bit more of the how you've done that and why you've done that out of there. I don't want. I'm not sure. We've got some of the topics we want to hit up, but um, and we got a sponsor break to do here in a second. I'm almost tempted just to dive a little bit deeper into the into the the money situation because Jared, you referenced 145 with David. We talked about financing open source, and he's very against getting paid to open source. And so Jack is the exact anti DH eight, so to speak in terms of getting paid to open source and it's his full-time thing. So, uh, you know, there's Patreon, GitUp was there. What is it called now, Jared? There's a new version. That's Gratipay. a new name for Gratipay. Uh, yep. I mean, have you been using that? I saw flatter on, on the readme. Yeah. So is that the primary way that people have been helping you yeah. finance this so that you don't have a full-time job and you can work on nice. full time? I, I wish I, I feel like I'm one of the more well-funded product or projects, like in terms of of the community giving back. But you know, five hundred dollars a month is is wonderful. Like it really helps. But in terms of like being able to you know live at, long term, uh, yeah, my rent is is double that. Right. And, you know, my I have to eat food too, so I'm like a bit. You have to eat what? Yeah. Uh, I, I have thought those unusual source- bodies. That, Thanks, there was like a, a repo you can fork and eat that or something like that. <laughs> yes. All, All right. right. Well, let's, this let's, may sound uh, tongue in cheek, but seriously, have you considered moving? 
Ah, I, the, the traveling aspect really helped with with that, like a uh, you know cost of living in Thailand or something. It's yeah, exactly. So, so cheap, but uh, the, the girlfriend sort of makes it hard now. Ah. <laughs> yeah, there's the rub. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's go ahead and use that as a as a chance to go ahead and pause and list with a sponsor. When we get back, we're going to talk more about adoption. Uh, we'll begin with. Uh, you know how you adopt or how you begin to use semantic UI, and then but we're curious to know who out there is using semantic UI. You mentioned possibility of of uh, of users, so sometimes someone adopts it and starts to use it, and then they actually give back financially to it. But let's go ahead and break, and we'll come back and we'll talk about that. All right, put them away, put them back, put the books back on the shelf. You don't need them, and learn to code by doing with Code School. Code School offers a variety of courses, JavaScript, HTML, CSS, Ruby, iOS, Git, and many, many more to help you expand your skills and learn new technologies. Code School knows that learning to code can be a daunting task and they've combined experienced instructors with proven learning techniques to make coding educational and memorable. It gives you the confidence you need to continue past those rough, tough hurdles that you will definitely face learning the code. Code School also knows that languages are a moving target. They're always updating their content to give you the latest and the greatest learning resources. You can even try before you buy. Roughly one out of every five courses on Code School is absolutely and totally free. This includes instructor classes on Git, Ruby, jQuery, and much more, which allow free members to play full courses with coding challenges all included. You can also pay as you go. One monthly fee gives you access to every Code School course, and if you ever need a breather, take a break, you can suspend your account at any time. Don't worry, your account history, your points, your badges, they'll all be there when you're ready to pick things up again. Get started on sharpening your skills today at codeschool.com. Once again, that is codeschool.com. All right, we're back, and now it is time with Jack to to dive a little bit deeper to figure out two two things here. One, how do you use, or the other word we can use is adopt. How do you adopt semantic UI? How can you begin to use it? Is it uh, and the question Jared's got here is is it all in or is it toe in the water? How does it work? Right. Um, so going back to the analogy of Sublime Text, I'm sure like everyone has their first Sublime Text experience. Um, so you download this new editor, you're like, what the hell is this? Um, so for semantic, you know, it's npm install semantic-ui. Um, the npm is, is sort of, I don't know how you feel about this, but for me, Bauer and, and other package managers are kind of on the way out in terms of uh, managing dependencies. npm is, uh, is sort of the go-to point. Um, one of the things that's wonderful about using npm is that we have an interactive installer. <laughs> Which kind of feels like installing one of those like adventure games when you were like twelve years old. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So it it, yeah, it asks totally. you questions. It's like you know, are you a right to left user? You know, do you need to choose which components you want to use, um, and so on. Um, one of the things I'm actually really excited about adding in in uh, two point one is have you guys are you familiar with Purify CSS? Just by it's, name, but not the details. Sure. So the thing that like the first feedback I always get on having a monolithic UI framework. Is everyone's like that's great, but like, what if I just need one button? <laughs> what do I do? And uh, my answer previously was just like, well, just choose from the interactive installer button. But but my new answer is in two point one, 
I'm going to be including Purify, which basically what it does is it goes through your HTML and your JavaScript and looks at what you actually use and then changes the CSS to only include CSS that is used in your HTML. So, you know, if you want to use semantic, you don't have to like worry about this, you know, 700 kilobyte download. You can just, you know, specify your output, you know, your HTML folder, and then it'll go great. Well, whenever you start using a new class name in HTML, then we'll just add that class name to the CSS. Hmm. How does that Which work is, across dynamic pages? Just yeah, I, I thought the same thing until I went to their repo, and I was like, "Wow, it works." Yeah, it it, it just works. It's magic. It's like it's some special magic that someone in the open source community they actually created. Actually, described it as voodoo magic on their readme. So <laughs> yeah, yeah I like that. that's better than auto magical, which I was never a fan of that term, but voodoo magic sounds pretty rad. Yeah. Um, so back to the sort of the, the overview. So you install it on npm. Um, it asks you questions: what components to use. Um, and then it goes into a, a folder um, with a, you know, uh, it has basically two folders, a, a circ folder, like a source folder, and a dist folder, which is the, uh, the CSS you actually include in your page. Um, and so the way it works is kind of like Sublime Text, where, you know, you download a package and you're like, well, my, I like two spaces for indents instead of four. And so you open up a file that's um, a user file. Um, in terms of semantic, it's, you know, circ slash site slash uh, global slash site variables. And so you open that up and you say, well, I want, you know, red to be this, this color. Um, and then the, uh, the build tools that are um, built into the project um, compile uh, any change that happens and then, you know, changes the, uh, the output uh, CSS to sort of match your, your changes. Um, so it's... If you're familiar with Bootstrap or Foundation, it's like that, but instead of it being, you know, I just import this library and just start writing like override variables, it's a more structured um, uh, system, um, which I think actually benefits projects because it means that, you know, if you want to start a new project and you have, you know, all these defaults already set, then you don't have to worry about like cutting and pasting parts of a CSS file that have to do with you know, a menu or a button. You actually have a dedicated file to that. Um, and so I think this is, for me, this is a huge thing for uh, HTML developers, for, for front-end developers, is to start thinking in terms of UI. Like, when you're customizing a menu or a button, like, put that in a special file called button, you know, and then realize that when you're going to a new project um, that you need to, you know, take those particular changes, and if you want to reuse a button, then, you know, it's there. So... Yeah, it's it's a new, it's kind of a more fragmented approach, which I think people have a hard time getting used to at first because they want everything to be in their like monolithic, you know, uh, index.css file or whatever. But uh, but once you get used to separating it, I think it, it really helps you in the long run, um, and it sort of makes it very easy to you know create new projects. So it does sound like it is an all-in thing, but it's going to strip out the stuff that you're not using, so it's not like you get all the weight of yeah. all the components that you don't necessarily use. And there's individual repos for each um, component. So if you're just like, I just need a dropdown, and I'd rather use your select dropdown than you know, um, another one, then you can just you know, npm install semantic-ui-dropdown, and you got that. So, so yeah, it's, it's basically, here's one of the things that I've had actually a really huge issue with, it, which I would be interested in you know, talking more about, is that as open source developers, it's like, you have this idea of, you have an opinionated idea of, of how people should use a project, which for me is this like inheritance system. But then you just have how people actually use a project. 
Um, and so you have people who use Angular, people who use Ember, people who use Meteor. Right. Um, right. All of them have their own package managers. Um, you have you know people who just want to use Browserify, and you're like, whoa, you, everything is compiled like you know from npm dependencies. And all of those are different packages with like different you know metadata, like different you know things to manage. Um, and what's really fascinating to me is like trying to be a developer who has like this is how I think you should use it, but then at the same time I'm just one dumb idiot in a room. And if you want to use it like in you know another way, then here's another way to to use it. So yeah, it's, it's been really interesting. And the community's been really you know wonderful with that. Where like I've I personally have never used Ember, but the guys who manage the Ember integrations are amazing and like have a faster response time than me sometimes with, with issues, which is nice. kind of embarrassing. But uh, but at the same time, I'm like, wow, that's thank you for caring about an ecosystem which I have yet to uh, you know dig into. So basically, and, uh, is your policy on integrations like those are all third party open source deals, or do you have any first yeah. party like integrations with any of the popular frameworks or backends? You guys are you guys gamers at all? Uh, casual gamer. My former life. <laughs> so yeah, there was, exactly. In the Nintendo sixty four days, there was yes. a game called Banjo Kazooie. Oh, now you're right in my wheelhouse. Yeah, exactly. All right. So that was that was like, what I think of as like a second party game, which is like uh. you're not necessarily a third party because like the organization that's in charge is like, all right, Rare, you're great. Like we're right, gonna release right. and like really promote you. And that's how I, I feel with with the integrations. I'm like. It's really hard is for uh, open source developers who like have a repo hosted on their own like username on GitHub and like they're trying to like promote it. So I'm like anyone who I find who's doing a, a good work with you know an integration, I try to you know get a semantic org re- repo and sort of you know promote it in the main repo with the README and like integrations docs and so on, just so that like they understand they're part of a community and they're like everything that you do has you know has purpose and value in, in terms of, you know, contributing to a, a larger good. Um, and so that's, I think that's, for me also, like, that, that's a hard part to deal with is trying to remember your context in terms of community. I think, like, in the, the pre-show we talked about this, like, um, everything you do in open source is, like, it's just a commit going into the ether. And so you have to understand, like, where that commit fits into, like, the people who are using that library, like, the, you know, the other people who have dependencies on your project who, you know, uh, add on to it. Um, and so for me, I'm, I really want to, like, make sure that people understand that when they, like, take the time to make, you know, a WordPress integration or something like that, that may not get, you know, a massive amount of stars on GitHub, that they're still doing really good work and that, like, they need to, you know, feel some praise and, like, you know. Yeah some like pat on the backs from that so, uh, so on that note the the examples i think i've found paging back through the org here's like semantic ui css semantic ui less uh and then keeping that same prefix you got meteor meteor data beta docs yeah. uh, ember angular is that is that what you mean when you talk about the integrations oh yeah okay. yeah completely and i think it's uh, this is one thing that i'm uh, since we last talked I've, I've started to understand more is that like once you just like put that team jersey on someone you're like all right we're we're, you're part of the team now and like here's this official repo like suddenly they understand that like you know their work uh, is valued like there's this community that will appreciate everything they do and i think like like that's that's such a wonderful transformation for me it's like just watching people like go from like this is my first time you know contributing an integration to like i'm in the maintainer of this official integration that's like other people are depending on and that's like that's really powerful. 
what uh on that note what overhead is it for you because it seems like you're giving a lot of the onus onto whomever really cares about it what what friction is it back onto you and the rest of the organ uh the contributors to the main repo and how does it kind of tie into the main repo and the build process and whatnot yeah i mean it's hard to like channel the right issues back to the right place like meteor is a really popular integration now and meteor is taking off like crazy um but you know there's there's a whole new pipeline for how people build with meteor like they have to have a special json file that like defines you know which components to use and uh, the maintainer of that project sort of decided the the, the setup for that um, and, you know, when that's not working, you know, it's hard for people to differentiate between what's a, a semantic UI problem and what's like a integration problem. Um, but I mean, for me, it's gravy because like any of this is, you know, is a whole new community of people who wouldn't have used, have, uh, used the product who are now like getting excited about it. Um, yeah, it's the same with like Rails or, or Ember. Um, it's just one of those things where like, as a developer, you choose the communities you you are involved in, and it's and there's other communities that you know are wonderful communities that you just don't have the you know the depth of knowledge to be able to help out. Um, and just having people have your back with that has been wonderful. I'm here on the Semantic UI Meteor repo, and I'm seeing custom.semantic.json, and this yep. looks a lot like your affinity for Sublime Text and its inheritance that you talked about. Is is that part of the layered? Uh, I guess variables that you can settings you can use for for semantic UI. Um, yeah, is that, that, that part, is that not part of it? That's actually I would have to say hey, hey does it not not part of it? But it was the guy. Um, uh, I know him only by his GitHub username, so his actual name was gave me Flame, uh, who's the Fr- maintainer. Flame, yeah. Thank you. Uh, he's been great. He he has some of the you know very popular uh, projects on Atmosphere, which is the manager for. Package manager for for Meteor. Um, it's a system that he picked up from uh, the boot, Bootstrap uh, uh, project on Atmosphere, which I I think is specifically with the way that the the files are set on Meteor, um, it's much easier for them to just have a JSON file on the the uh, uh, the top level that they can set that then triggers um, uh, the less pipeline to recompile the files uh, correctly. Um, it, You'd have to ask him. It seems like a good idea. That's why I ask. It seems like it's keying off of what you were talking about earlier, which is why I thought it was something that was part well, of the official way of doing things. No, no, you're right. I'm being actually a bit of a pedant because the actual project has a semantic.json file, which is basically the exact same thing, um, has a different structure. Um, and that's sort of how people decide uh, what, what components to include, what the input and output you know, directories gotcha. are. Okay. Yeah, so everything works off of a configuration file. Um, yeah, uh, in terms of theming, um, there's a, a central config file that's like a theme.config file. Um, so basically, I was sort of describing this three-tiered system before. Um, when you download the project, all the theme config has every component set to default theme. Um, you can just and anytime after you download it, you can open that file, change the theme to you know, you can change button to GitHub or something or uh, site to material, um, and, and theming is done sort of per comp- com- component in the library. So you may choose to have a GitHub button, but a material, you know, site theme. So it would have all of, you know, Android fonts, but then <laughs> have buttons that look like GitHub. And I think this is one of the things that for me is really differentiating is that I think theming is really nuanced. Like everything is in terms of, of UI. And when, when people are like, 
well, I just need to make my site, you know, look like a material design. Well, I'm like, well, a site is a lot of different things. Like a site is, uh, you know, uh, several dozen UI components, each with their own, you know, custom look and feel. Um, and I think that once people start to like think about things that way and like distinguish in, you know, in terms of their branding um, between, you know, how they, maybe they want, you know, a, a card system that looks like Instagram, um, but they want their buttons to look like material. Um, and and just sort of like being able to differentiate that way, I think is really important. Um, and and I guess that's like the difference between bootstrap or, or uh, foundation is like people are in, in those contexts are just used to loading like one master theme file. Mm. It's like everything across my website is like this. Um, and I, I think also like for the open source, you know, component componentized web, like you have to start thinking in terms of like little tiny things that fit together. Um, and although the library is a big library of little tiny things fitting together, really it's like it's a bunch of small components like when it comes down to it. And every time I add to the library, it's like it's another thing that you can just say that you don't want in your semantic.json file. So it's like, you know, it's, 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 it's hope, I really hope that it doesn't turn into this thing that people are afraid of because they think it's too big. Um, I want to make sure that yeah, they make the decisions really early on to, to sort of make it small and, and limit it. Yeah, just looking at the uh, the homepage. I mean, your theming looks really, really nice. Um, one thought I had coming into this is like, who's using S semantic UI? Because you know, like I know Bootstraps out there, and you know, uh, in crazy mass, and we see Foundation and and these other those are the two big ones. And I was thinking, I don't really know any sites using it, but you know, as a as a user of a, a front end, yeah, it's kind of nice not knowing. Um, you know, yeah. as developers, we get to a point where I can spot a bootstrap, uh, site a mile away, even if it's customized and that's fine. Most users don't have a clue about these things, but maybe it just speaks to the quality of the theming and the person, you know, the way you can personalize it that I don't actually know any sites that are, you know, semantic UI users. Um, you think that's true a and B, could you give us a couple examples to look at? Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, in terms of public examples, um, it's a bit dicey, but it, it's being it's kind of new technology, like mm -hmm. I, 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 have to, I have to kind of explain, like I, I get personal emails from people and there's lots of like, you know, we're, we have a, a, a startup that has gotten, you know, series A or C funding right. and we're using right. semantic UI um, and we don't have any public facing links yet, but we just want to know, you know, good job. And we're hoping to, you know, the library grows like yeah. today. For instance, I, I guess I can say this publicly. I got an email from someone who is head of Garmin Auto saying that they're using it and their internal tools and just sort of like, uh, we can't put this on the GitHub, but, you know, thanks. I, I probably should say this in the podcast, actually. Oops. Um, but it was, it was one of those nice things where you're like, <laughs> we'll edit that right now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, it, you know, it's, it's hard because I, I worry about these things, too. And I think part of, of the way Bootstrap works is that they're first to, to I, mean, I hate to say market. They're first to market with UI frameworks, and they just sort of have a, yeah. a yeah. level of adoption that's kind of uh, unrivaled. Like they're the most popular uh, project on on GitHub, like right. in terms right. of stars. Like, and I understand that, and and part of me understands that that's because UI is a huge problem that people like are really concerned with solving, um, and so that's kind of gives me ample, you know, uh, fodder for wanting to grow out semantic UI into a really, you know wonderful alternative alternative for people who um oh and by the way i don't know how i didn't mention this the entire time semantic 2 uh semantic ui 2.0 is all flexbox so if you're like 
you're tired of Bootstrap with its old, you know, floats for grids, it's a Flexbox grid, it's Flexbox components, um, it's based on EM, like very modern new things, um, which I think people who are making websites for, you know, IE 10 and up and, and, you know, sort of modern browsers are really excited about using. On the note of Bootstrap and I guess... You know, it's the same idea, I guess, where you think about an ecosystem where there's some need and there's so many fractures. So Bootstrap, Foundation, and, you know, all the other ones that sort of fall in line there. You know, I'm kind of curious to your motivations of why, um, and you said this in the pre-call, you know, working in a vacuum, why you continue to be, um, why you've chosen the route you've gone versus folding your your brain space and your knowledge space into one of these other projects and just kind of going off the stars, just, just simply for the numbers sake, you know, 18,000 ish, um, 18 and a half thousand for semantic UI. And then whenever you go to something like bootstrap, you've got 82,000, <laughs> yeah. 83,000 and they've got like, you know, way more followers than the changelog I think will ever have 346,000, yeah. yeah. you know, almost half a million followers on Twitter, you know? So yeah, curiosity to why, why uh, why you go this route versus folding some of your knowledge space into that since you compared yeah. yourself to, to Bootstrap when, when it came to Flexbox? Um, I, I just have an anecdote, actually, to, to explain. Um, I was I read the news every once in a while, and I'm not wonderful with it, but I, was, I saw that uh, North Korea announced um, that they had a, a cure for uh, most diseases. They had a cure for cancer. They had a cure for... Um, you know, balding, uh, all this kind of stuff. I forget the name of the of the uh, the medicine, but I went to the website that was in the press release for North Korea, and it's like this is a BBC article, and it's like this miracle product, and I'm like, I'm looking at the source code, I'm like, holy crap, this is Bootstrap. North Korea uses Bootstrap, <laughs> and I had this like moment where I'm like, this is this is it in a nutshell. It's like there is just entropy in the world. Like there's there's things that just exist because. The world is chaotic and just you know selects for things and you can't really change it. And I I feel like there's better things and I, I want to like take the things which I think in my life you know are the ideas that I think are better and just really try to you know uh, advocate be an advocate for them and and sort of support them and, and push them. And for me, it's I think there's a I, I, we didn't talk about it much in this episode, but for me, I think there's a, a fundamental issue with programming languages today. I think that we're all creating programming languages that look like um, uh, what programming languages look like in the, in the 1950s and 60s, which think of things in terms of of like baking a cake. Like here's a sequence of things I need to do for a computer to understand, and we're we're missing out on this entire uh, different way of seeing language, which is you know how we construct meaning on a day to day, which is natural language uh, systems of of, uh, of uh, grammatical relationships. Um, and so for me, that's, that idea is just so fascinating and so like multifaceted, even if I wasn't a programmer, even if I was like, for some reason I was an artist or a writer or something else, I would just be very excited about exploring that idea of uh, the difference between machine learning and, and, and human learning and understanding. Um, and, and so the, I guess that's why I do it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of, of the practicals, I think for, I'm such an ideologue. I, I come back to the practicals very late in the game. Like, I'm always the last one. I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot. I was too busy, like, getting really excited about this new, you know, thing I was coding. And then, you know, uh, I think I think it'll get really serious when I, like, I can't pay my rent or, like, I have, you know, some other issue. But for now, it's, like, it's just trying to chase those things. 
Well, I have two quick thoughts about the bootstrap thing, and then we'll uh, go to sponsor break. The first one is, you know, 18,000 stars ain't nothing to balk at, so you're no. doing just fine there. Secondly, you know that band that you found before anybody else and you loved it, and it was your band, and then everybody else, you know, they blew up, and then everybody else knew about it, and you're like, oh, now it's not my band anymore. Semantic UI could be that band for you. It's still in the phase where, you know, some people know about it, but you can still impress your boss. They're not going to recognize it. It's in that perfect phase where it's time to go out and give it a shot. Is that, is that stretching that analogy too far? I think that's great. <laughs> <laughs> it's that I wish I was that bad. A few people have heard of it. <laughs> All right. 18,000 people. Yeah, well. <laughs> That's, uh, at, at least that's uh, the, those are the ones who are at yeah. least motivated enough to go and star it. That's right. Well, okay. Can so I maybe just, not that uh, bad, but it's still still pretty. Can I have a, a little plug? Just a really tiny plug. Sure. Um, we're having a launch party in, in New York um, on the 14th. Um, there's a, a Eventbrite on the homepage. Um, if you're in New York and you've heard this podcast and you're excited about talking more, um, I'm going to be there in person. Um, you know, it's going to be in blurry side. I was, I was just talking to the venue owner today. It's, it's still TBD, but um, I'm really excited about it, and it's it's nice to like just celebrate open source. Um, awesome. you know. Well, that's true. So that's the 14th, and that would be the Monday. This show comes out on a Friday, which is July 10th. So it'll be really close to the to the uh, the 14th, yeah. which is a Tuesday. But yeah. nonetheless, if you're close. listening to this, go to semantic-ui.com and scroll down just a tiny little bit. If you got a big monitor, don't scroll at all. Uh, <laughs> and it says right there RSVP to attend, and click that button. You'll go to an Eventbrite page, and you can. Use Eventbrite as Eventbrite works. Nice. Sounds like a blast. Let's pause here for a quick sponsor break. And we come back, we'll ask our awesome closing questions. We are back. HipChat is a game changer for team communication. It helps you and your team get the information you need faster than email and reduces meaningless meetings. Teams that use HipChat are able to make faster decisions and get more work done with group chat, video chat, and file sharing. HipChat is a great solution for distributed teams by letting you take the office with you no matter where you go. iPhone, Android, Mac OS, it's all there. HipChat is easy to use and gets everyone working in real time. And right now, HipChat is offering listeners of the changelog 90 days of HipChat Plus totally free. Get premium features like unlimited file storage, unlimited message history, and guaranteed support totally for free for 90 days. Visit hipchat.com slash changelog. Again, that's hipchat.com slash changelog. Get your team started using HipChat Plus today. Go and check them out. All right, we are back with Jack Lukic, ready to wrap up here. But first, we have to ask our awesome closing questions that we ask it at the end of each show. First one for you is, what is a call to arms for Semantic UI? If you have the ear of the open source community, what are you asking of them in regards to your project? Um, are you passionate about UI and you, uh, you want to work on an open standard for people who uh, work with, with UI frameworks? Come, come join us. <laughs> we're, we're not a, a, a new framework. We're not an old framework. We're uh, the, the upcoming framework, so somewhere in between. This, this is really terrible. To use Jared's analogy, the banger <laughs> about the hero. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Let's just uh, jam that one into the ground. Yeah. 
I liked it. I think it was pretty good. Uh, it seemed like Jack was just like, oh, I'm not sure if it's. I like it though. I like it. I like it too. It's it's kind of a shame that you invite you know you did the, the party call out before the, the sponsor break because here would be a perfect sure. call to arms. And in addition, is go to the party July fourteenth. You'll have a blast. Throw yeah. that one in there for you. Absolutely. Adam, you want to take the next one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what what are we are we going to ask about the hero? What is the next question? Have we determined what it's going to be? <laughs> I don't know. Man. You got me all you got me all mixed up here. Uh. We asked several questions. I would think that uh, what's on the horizon? This is this is a question from a different show that we don't ask too often on this show. And we got one other question we'll ask you too. But you know, what's on the horizon for Semantic UI? You just went to 2.0. You're about to have this party next Tuesday if you're listening to this in the real time. Uh, in fact, it's actually you know a couple Tuesdays from now because we're recording this on July 6th. So it's a week a week and a day away. So what's on the horizon? What's something that no one knows sure. about? Only you, Jack, that you know where Semantic is going, Semantic UI is going. Paint the picture for us. Sure. Um, so theming right now requires some technical sophistication. You have to be able to like get into the build tools and like open up files. Um, aspiration has always been um, and should be achieved in the next version, which is uh, going onto a website. Um, being able to customize and uh, save your UI and then have it in the cloud, uh, sync it between projects, um, uh, preview it um, with you know all all of the different variations and styles, um, and yeah, and then every time you download Semantic UI, you have you know your uh, UI guide that is uh, built with it. Um, I think a lot of companies are, are going yeah. this direction. Yeah, it's like there's like dedicated projects just for that. Yeah. My goal is that everyone can have their own google.com slash material, but with their own style. That's really interesting. So going back to the levels of, of inheritance with the classes, and, and, or not the classes, but the different, uh, that would all tie into it. You would have you know, the pattern level, you would have the user level, and you would have like semantic UI level. Oh, yeah. It would all play into this style guide that's, that someone would actually get built on the fly for them with no extra effort. Yeah, completely. Very so interesting. Register for an account, change some variables, maybe choose a preset or two, um, and then it generates uh, some sort of uh, UI guide for your company, which then can be used, you know, with microsites, with in new employees, like as a brand guide. Um, that's the sort of goal. That's so helpful for bringing on new people to front ends, because I mean, it's even it's helpful on both sides, the front end, bringing on new team members, but also for developers who are building what the front enders have defined as blessed. You know, oh, yeah. Because oh, once yeah. you get the buy-in, you don't want it to change. And not that developers have a habit of changing it, but they want to just be able to implement front-end as best as they can, you know, and, and not have to, like, trip over wires or whatever. And, and if you can pro provide that guide rail for them, then that's, that's perfect. Yeah, and none of that BTN-primary. It's, it's literally, literally be, like, red button. And, and for I know for me, talking to back-end developers, like, a thing that really works with semantic UI for people is, like, it just clicks. Like, they just look and they're like, my God, I can read this like a sentence. And, like, it's not, it, like, there's no actual, uh, you know, uh, learning required. Like, it's, it's basically the language I use to, you know, describe a website to my friends. Um, so that's what I'm hoping for people is that they start seeing websites not having to use a separate arbitrary language designed by developers uh, and that it could just sort of use, you know, a more uh, objective, um, reasonable language. 
Awesome. That does sound awesome. So next question for you. And the last question is, we know you've been a little bit heads down. You, called, you said you were in a vacuum a little bit working on this. But, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm sure you've peaked up a little bit because you knew about React and you know about some other things. So uh, what's on your open source radar? If you, if you had a free weekend and you weren't working on semantic UI, you wanted to hack on something, what's caught your eye? What's, what's interesting to you? I'm, I'm interested in all the React-like frameworks that aren't React. Like the idea of virtual DOM diffing has this like mm-hmm. magicness to it that I think React solves in a very particular way. And actually, I don't have the name of any frameworks at hand right now, but there's there's a lot of people working in this space. And I'm, I'm more excited about not necessarily like what React feature is, but what virtual DOM feature is, like what that means as a concept and how it fits into the browser. Mm. Um, I've, but I mean, in terms of if I had a free weekend, what I'd be doing, um, I would be embarrassingly getting back on my meteor chops because right now it's like my most uh, popular uh, uh, integration. But I I am really uh, a layman when it comes to to understanding the pipeline. Um, so so yeah, that's what I'd be doing on a weekend. Well, you uh, mentioned virtual DOM diffing. I went ahead and plugged that into the Google, and the Google said that uh, there is a repo on GitHub called. Virtual Dom. Uh, it's by Matt Esch. And uh, it's got over 4,000 4, stars. So it's, it's definitely yeah. something that's up and coming. If you, if you haven't heard of that, that may be a neat place to start. It's a JavaScript Dom model supporting element creation, diff computation, and patch operations for efficient re-rendering. And it's got quite the support level. It's all green, from what I can tell, uh, based on this this. This image here, Android, Firefox, Chrome, IE, iPad, iPhone, Opera, and Safari. So that's pretty pretty exhausting in terms of support. IE6 is yeah. gray. Oh, it is. <laughs> of course. <laughs> sure is. That is the gray one. But hey, that's a good place to start, though. So yeah. when's, you, when's that free weekend coming? Oh, man. At the end of the runway. Yeah, at the end of the runway, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Just got to land the plane, and then we'll... <laughs> So before we tell off the the show, then let's let's plug some ways that those who've listened to the show have some interest in UI. Maybe they can contribute. Maybe they can't contribute code. Maybe they can help with docs. Maybe they can do any. They can't do anything yeah. whatsoever besides donate their their finances if that's something that they wish to do. Uh, what's the best way to support financially your endeavors? And if there's right. someone out there that's that is a VC or is someone who would support this financially on a bigger scale, what's the best way for those types of people to get in touch and, and get involved? Yeah. Um, so I'll start off on, on the micro and we'll go to the macro, but basically if you're not a developer and you're just interested in, in some of these ideas. Um, we have a big localization team, like 800 people, uh, 30 languages. Um, but even with that many people, uh, many languages are still less than 50% complete. Um, so if you just go to the repo, semanticorg/semanticui, uh, um, there's a link to join our translation community, um, and that would sort of help you know make semantic UI available abroad. Um, one of the things that I'm really actually frustrated with that I, I really need help with. Um, so there's no uh, SaaS port yet. Um, I noticed everyone, that repo was empty. I was going to call it <laughs> yeah, out, but I was like, eh. Yeah. So uh, in, the, in the readme, actually, I have a link to the required pull request. There's one pull request that's required for SAS to work with, with Semantic UI. It's allowing variables inside of at import statements. So the theming works off of, of uh, dynamic uh, import statements. Um, if you like SAS, 
Uh, it's pull request seven three nine. It's in the it's in the readme. Please help us make SAS support dynamic imports. Um, another wonderful way to contribute our Angular bindings are still uh, coming together. If you're into Angular, there's a link in the repo. Um, and then lastly, as you said, um, you know, if you're a VC or if you're a, an angel investor, um, there's uh, you reach out to me directly, jack at semantic-ui.com. Um, there's also a tiny microsite, investor.semantic-ui.com, um, that just sort of gives an overview of the project and, and sort of its, uh, its future. Can you repeat that last URL again? Uh, yeah, sure. So the email is uh, jack at semantic-ui, and then the URL is investor.semantic-ui.com. Okay, gotcha. So it's a subdomain off of your main. Yeah, it's... It's not mobile friendly, so don't don't try that. But it was it was a weekend project a couple you know months ago. So gotcha. Um, what about Flatter? Is that we mentioned that a little bit earlier in the show? Is that is that a common way? Is that the way? Um, there's a PayPal donate link in the footer of semantic-ui.com. Um, that's I, I feel is a little bit easier to deal with than um, Flatter, which is working off the euro. I okay, think. gotcha. Which, and so it, when you go to that, you do have the option to make it a monthly donation. Uh, yep. You're not putting a dollar amount in there. So it could be a buck. It could be 50 cents. It could be $5. It could be whatever uh, the generous folks out there decide to put in that donation amount box. Is that correct? Yeah, completely. And, you know, as uh, someone who's been working this a long time, I would just love to have other developers help. So uh, if, you, if you're more financially, you know, interested, I would love, you know, be able to have more, as you say, uh, runway for this. But also, if you're a developer, please help us with our integrations and, and uh, elsewise. And uh, something else I want to point out too here at the end is uh, is you guys use Gitter. So gitter.im slash semantic hyphen org. There's also a link in the main website's footer, which we'll also put in the show notes. But that seems like a good way. If you just want to hop in and say hi to Jack and the rest of the community, then you can easily hop in and just say hello and, and, uh, and just sort of step in and just kind of get to know people first before you commit to, to anything financially or even your actual work. So you can sort of get a heartbeat of the community by stepping in and just saying hello. Yes. Yeah, it was wonderful plug. And also, you know, uh, I, I love Gitter by the way. I want to, I want to plug them because they're amazing and what they've done. Um, you know, how yeah. Slack have like sort of closed chat rooms and then all of a sudden Gitter came along and it's like, my God, people can organize around open source much easier. Thank That's you guys for doing it. There's definitely some interesting things happening there because you can see like how, you know, for example, your, your user has labeled something or someone, some other user, Avalanche 1, not sure who that is, opened issue 2530 at certain times. So you can sort of not only catch up with people, but also see the activity of the project, which is pretty neat for, for that. And I'm sure anybody else out there listening to this has played with Gitter, but I, I haven't much yet. I've always, only been a Slack guy, so this is pretty interesting to see. Yeah, I love Gitter. Um, yeah, if you want to keep track of an open source project, like the first thing you should do is open its Gitter. So everything's in, in one view. Cool. All right. Well, Jack, hey, thank you so much for coming back. I know it's been a year and a half. And we said 1.0, but we got you at 2.0. Nonetheless, uh, great show today. Hopefully your runway is long to keep stretching out Jared's analogies. I hope your band becomes the, you know... American Idol or something like that. Maybe you get on The Voice. Uh, that's a that's a bad <laughs> joke, Jerry. Why do you let me make that joke, man? 
Oh, man, you wouldn't bail me out earlier, so I'm not bailing you out now. <laughs> All right. Well, at the tail end of this show, I do want to plug some some things. Uh, we have some awesome sponsors making this show possible. Um, but we are going to be at GopherCon. As a matter of fact, if you're listening to this, we're at GopherCon right now. And if you're listening to this, you're probably at GopherCon. Well, maybe you're not at GopherCon, but if you are listening to this and you're at GopherCon, come and say hi if you haven't already yet. Uh, we, we definitely love hanging out with all the gophers there in denver the mile high the mile high city as they as they call it and it, and jared how excited are you about the temperature there man i guess you're not that excited because you don't live in texas but what's geez. it gonna be it'll be nice 60s 70s it's like 90s okay right now outside it's uh, 91 degrees that's not cool yes. what's cool is 70 degrees that's cool have you considered moving uh, I'm, I'm pulling a jack here, okay? The, in this case, it's a wife, not a girlfriend. We can't quite move, so. But yeah. we, we have discussed that Denver is the city. If we moved to any other state than Texas, because it's Texas forever. Uh, but if we did move, it would probably be Colorado and in particular Denver. So. Oh, nice. <laughs> Omaha, did you say, Jared? Oh, I'm sorry, I coughed. Oh, okay, gotcha. Jared's from Omaha. Nebraska. Nebraska. I can't even call that. I've heard that's pretty cool. Anyways, so thanks to our sponsors. Thanks to Jack. Thanks to all the listeners for uh, listening to this awesome show. And Jack, we hope your runway is long, my friend. And thank you so much <laughs> for coming on this show. Let's say goodbye. See ya. Thanks, guys. See ya.